0: Thus, let's cultivate our motivation. Anger is one of the uh, biggest imp- impediments to generating love and compassion. Because we can't, in the same moment, mind moment, have love or compassion and anger. Why can't we have them both at the time, same time? Because they view the uh, object that we're looking at, another person, or an action, or whatever, um, from opposite viewpoints. So the opposites can't be in the mind at the same time. So when there's anger in our mind, the possibility of generating bodhicitta and becoming a bodhisattva is out the window. So if we're really uh, keenly interested in the bodhisattva path, in attaining full awakening, we have to do something about our anger because it harms us. We think it's harming the other person, but the anger actually harms us because it impedes us on the path. So it may take a while for us to really be convinced of that, that anger is an impediment because... It gets us going when we're angry, lots of adrenaline. But it very quickly (laughs) makes us totally miserable as well. So form a, a decision. To work with your anger and for your own welfare as well as the welfare of others, to subdue your anger. And then to practice seeing sentient beings as kind as uh, worthy of affection, as lovable. And then from there, generate putty because he wished to benefit them not harm them So seeing how our anger harms us is one part of giving us the uh, energy and the impetus to, to deal with our anger. Another part is to be convinced that the way we perceive someone or something when we're angry is distorted. It is not we are not seeing the reality of the situation. Yeah, that one may be a little bit harder to understand. You know, we can realize that. You know, if we look, that yeah, we're not very happy when we're angry, and and we can understand that it. it impedes generating compassion and bodhicitta and so on. But to really understand that how we're perceiving the other person is erroneous that one is harder because when we're angry we are 105% convinced that we're see- perceiving that person correctly now that how they appear to me at that mind at that moment is how they exist as a rotten Good for nothing that I don't want to be around, who's driving me crazy, and I have to get away from. Yeah. Is it true or not? Is that how you see when, when when you're angry, you don't see them as kind and lovable, do you? Yeah. No, they are awful from their own side. It has nothing to do with your mind. Yeah. In which case, everybody should see that person the same way. Yeah? So sure, that means, yeah, everybody should vote for who I vote for. Everybody should love who I love. Everybody should hate who I hate. And and, and that's the way we think. Yeah. Is that reality? Is, is that conducive? It, it just makes a whole big mess in the world, doesn't it? yeah so to really sit there and and look at you know what attributes am I attributing to that person that make you know that makes me so sure that they are intolerably awful you know and look at you know, yeah, so, so take out your standard list of complaints about what this person does. Okay. And then it, it, this is a very interesting one. Think about maybe some bad habit that just drives you up the wall. Okay. Then imagine somebody who you really care about doing that same action. Do you get mad at the person? Who you really care about when they do that action?
1: You do. Slurping tea drives. Me, slurping tea drives me up the wall. Is the way that I was raised. So anyone who slurps as they drink their tea doesn't matter whether so, they're close. So and- the Dalai Lama is in front of you slurping tea. <laughs> you're gonna. You're gonna
0: climb up the wall because it's intolerable. Because that's his inherent nature, to slurp to the tree and he's doing tea and <laughs> do I get he's doing it deliberately to bother you? <laughs>
1: do I get irritated like that? Possibly. Do I work with my mind? I hope so.
0: <laughs> okay, today
1: at lunch, everybody slurp your tea.
0: Yeah. This is one, the one way, the one thing the psychologists use now when, when, like for PTSD, you get used to the stimulus and you get used to not responding the same way. So, so we'll do that. Well, all, so, and you don't have to have tea. You can slurp water. And that, that has the same effect. Yeah. Okay. We'll try. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, there's a, a little story that Arya Deva tells, you know, in, in the 400, how he has these little stories, some of which I have a really difficult time figuring out. But this one I, I can understand fairly easily. Uh, so it talks about, uh, a man who had two wives. Okay. And, uh, and both, both wives have had children. Okay. And so what, and, and the wives were jealous of each other and didn't like each other because they were each, you know, taking care of their own child and blah, blah. So, um, the child of uh, this wife, um, no, that this wife, okay, hears a noise in the kitchen and thinks that it's the child of this wife. And so, thinks, that dirty scumbag going in the kitchen, stealing the food, you know, they're always doing this kind of thing, then nobody else gets it. Yeah. And so really mad at the child of the first wife. Then
1: <laughs>
0: she finds out that the person in the kitchen was her own child, and she says, Oh, what do you need, honey? Let me get it for you. Same action. Yeah, but if the other wife's child does it, oh, if your child does it, oh, yeah, you're hungry? Let me get you something. Okay, so think about some of the things, this person, you know, that you just cannot endure. Yeah, because they go like this. I mean, this is like worse than killing somebody. It drives you. It's worse than slurping tea. It drives you up the wall and through the ceiling. And you can't stand that person because they're doing this. Yeah. And then then you think of somebody you re, you care about sitting and doing that. Yeah. Do you really have the same same reaction? Yeah. Can you tolerate it? You know, it's funny how how some things, you know, like when people fall in love, They have all, they bring with them all sorts of bad habits. But when you first fall in love, I mean, their bad habit is beautiful. You love them for it. Okay. Fast forward. (laughs) And we know what happens. Then that same habit, you can't stand and it becomes the, the thing that you're quarreling about and the reason why you're getting divorced. Yeah, yeah. I told you about the peanut butter story, yeah? So, you know, you think that person's going to start remembering to buy you peanut butter? Yes, they love me so much they're going to change. Okay, wait for that. And don't get angry until they do. You can't do it, you know? Because you think like her, anybody who doesn't buy me peanut butter when I want it for breakfast—I don't care who it is. Yeah, the Dalai Lama, my teachers, the people, my parents, the people I love the most—I'm going to hate them because they didn't get me peanut butter. It's it's incredible to to look sometimes at the reasons why we don't like other people. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we see it as a character flaw that they're going to have forever and ever, and sometimes it's one action that they do, slurp, slurp. That lasts. What? How long does a slurp last? how many seconds one or two mm. yeah so if you want to get her goat one or two seconds is all it takes and you can put her up the wall yeah with without one of those uh things you know that the, that the construction guys have to lift you up okay It's so fascinating to to look at how our own mind works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when the cat barfs all over the place, it's like, you know, well, that's the cat, you clean it up. If your friend barfed all over the place, why don't you go in the bathroom and bark there? You clean it up yourself. It's still the same thing of somebody having an upset stomach. Yeah. But we'll tolerate it from a kitty we love, but we won't tolerate it from another human being. Yeah. They should
1: <clears throat>
0: go like that. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, you, you know, that, that old duct tape trip. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so, you know, really try and look at, you know, what you're, you know, when you're drawing up your whole list of why you can't stand somebody, look at each one of them, you know, and is that really grounds for just uh, saying this person is intolerable? One of the examples they they give uh, when that they talk about the equanimity meditation, not equalizing self and others, but equanimity between friend and friend and enemy. Okay, so your friend gives you this person over here gives you a thousand dollars today. They're your friend. This person over here criticizes you. They're your enemy. Okay, next day. This person over here gives you a $1,000. Now they're your friend. And this person over here criticizes you. And now they've become your enemy. So which are they? Are they a friend or an enemy? Because one day they're one, the next day the next. And the two roles from the two people have just changed like that. So which one are they? You're a friend one day and enemy the next. I woke up this morning. I don't know who, whether I'm, uh, you're my friend or my enemy today. Yeah. Let's go out and say hello. Let's do the bowing in the morning. And, you know, and then I'll determine if that person likes me or doesn't like me for the rest of the day. Yeah. Oh, they didn't look at me when they were bowing. They hate me. Well, that's interesting because I also hate them because they didn't look at me. First, yeah, I I didn't look at them either. No, I did look at them, I looked like this. (laughs) Are you gonna look at me today and bow? Are you gonna do what you did yesterday and completely turn your eyes away like I don't exist? Let me tell you, this is what happens in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, I see some nodding heads. If you don't look at me, I'm going to scrutinize you. And then I'm going to remind everybody in the whole group that you better look at every single person in the morning. Every single person means me. I don't care if you look at anybody else, but you better look at me and bow. And you better do a very good half bow, not this kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> bowing from the waist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you skip me. Your house bone. Oh, I pointed to 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 Sean, and then I pointed to Monsal, and I pointed but she doesn't like me. Um, uh, so I pounded to her, you know, but then, and then Karen goes, Oh my God, she doesn't like me. She didn't do like this to me. Oh, oh, oh. But Karen already doesn't like me because I don't. Because <laughs> I, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I, I complain, you know. So I just look at how everybody uh, relates to me first thing in the morning. They're still half asleep. They're not even sure who they're bowing to. <laughs> they're just going in the, that general direction. Okay. Yeah. So think about it. I mean, this is quite applicable Dharma. Somebody, you know, in the in the Q and A session. Uh, Yesterday, with the people from the Hamburg Center, somebody said, you know, the paramitas are very hard to practice. How do you practice them in in your life? Uh, This is the the third paramita. Yeah? How do I deal with my mind when my mind is this, uh, you know? Yeah, you're smiling at me. That's okay today. Uh, (laughs) When I complain to you about the construction guys. Well, I better stop now while I'm. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Day. And did you notice again that a car is parked there? yes I did and I
2: wrote Jeremy an email and I'll see him at 1130 this
0: morning <laughs> I, I think he doesn't even tell them yeah you know they park you know where they park on the road going to the upper meadow can you imagine that you're as shocked as I am how dare somebody do that I mean really this is the the worst thing in the world, you know, aside from finding all these other things they didn't put in, in the initial um, a, uh, contract that now they're billing us for. <laughs> this is almost as bad as that. I better really do the text. <laughs> okay, but, you know, this is really... The parameters are, you know, they are very applicable in our lives, aren't they? Yeah. So it's not just reading and reading about them and knowing the, the different categories and definitions. It's knowing which one to pull out, you know, and, and use to help your mind in any particular situation. Yeah. But then when somebody reminds you to, to practice an antidote to anger, then you get mad at that person. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why are you telling me to, you know, practice that antidote? You don't know what this person did to me. My anger is right. Yeah. You don't understand. Oh, there was a video made. Venerable, you don't understand. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. But, uh, or maybe I understand too well. But, um, you know, we, somebody reminds us to, to practice the antidote and then we get mad at that person. Yeah. Cause I want the person who's bugging me to practice the antidote. <laughs> yeah. I don't like them because they don't like me. So you practice patience and fortitude and love and compassion, you know. And after you practice those, then, you know, I'll like you and I'll be okay. So you first, yeah? Okay, 166. Uh, So he's hitting us strong here. I should not be dominating and aggressive, acting in a self-righteous, arrogant way. Instead, like a newly married bride. I should be bashful, timid, and restrained. And this is the way newly married brides were in India you know, and in the West, yeah? You hide behind your veil, you know? And then he lifts the veil and he faints because you're so beautiful, but you're supposed to be just... Sigh, newly married. Mm. I should be bashful timid, and restrained. Don't you like gender uh, stereotypes? We're a bunch of bashful, timid, and restrained women here, aren't we? (laughs) The men aren't laughing. (laughs) No, you two are, thank you. Uh, But... Yeah, so so much for that. I mean, uh, yes, Shanti Deva, I forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, this is standard standard fare. But um, I should not be dem- dominating and aggressive. Yeah. Anybody here dominating and aggressive? Really? Yeah, you're like.
2: <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, we all have that side of ourselves, don't we? You know, I am going to push this through and get my way. And I am going to be ag- aggressive in doing it. You know, everybody in this, abbey. you know, this is the spatula thing, isn't it? Everybody in this Abbey must put the spatula in this container. Or else. Okay, not being dominating and aggressive. But the, but when you, we think, okay, I won't be dominating and aggressive. I'll manipulate them instead. No, this isn't a line encouraging manipulation. okay manipulation is really really yucky really yucky and sometimes we manipulate without it's not like we even have the intention in our mind now I'm going to manipulate this person to get what I want it's just so habitual you know that's what you do So to try and be aware, I shall not be dominating and aggressive, acting in a self-righteous, arrogant way. But I am right, and everybody should do what I say. Oh, there we are again. Yeah. Do you see how we always come back to the same thing? I'm the most important one. Everybody should do things my way. It's amazing. Instead, like a newly married bride. Yeah. Okay. So the women here are all have perfected being bashful, timid, and restrained. Yeah. Right. You don't look too happy about that. (laughs) Neither do I. Okay. So I don't think it, you know, as in all the other, um, so, you know, as we're going through this, we're seeing again and again how, uh, if we don't understand what Deva is getting at, we totally come away with the wrong, uh, thought of what he's saying. Yeah. He, he's not kind of, uh, saying that everybody should be bashful timid and and restrained, you know you know like God, uh, <laughs> you know, uh he's not saying that we should all be like that, but you know when we find ourselves being dominating and aggressive to to chill out a bit, yeah. You know? After they move the cars, (laughs) then I'll chill out. (laughs) 167. Thus, O mind, you should think and abide in this way, and not act selfishly as before. If under the control of self-centeredness you transgress this code, your selfishness will be your end. So here you're talking to your self-centered mind, you know, or to maybe to your mind in general at the beginning. You know, oh mind, you should think and abide in this way. In other words, not being aggressive and dominating and self-righteous, okay? And not acting selfishly as before. And he's giving us this advice because he's compassionate. Yeah, not because he's trying to uh, make us uh, to generate a, a rationale to oppress us. Mm-hmm. Okay, if under the control of self-centeredness, you know, we can com- we continue to keep doing what we have been doing before, placing ourselves first and most important. Then that self centeredness is going to be our end, it's going to lead us down the slippery slope into a big mess. Yeah, so uh, we can't say we haven't been warned, you know, it's just we've been warned, but it takes a while for everything to sink in, it takes a while. I mean, because our self-centeredness is quite um deeply rooted. And so thinking that we're just going to get rid of it like this, you know, that's not going to happen. But uh, so not to hate ourselves when we mess up, but to learn from our mistakes. Um, and remember that the self-centered thought is not our friend. It's it really is uh, leading us astray. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we think, oh, but if only I were in a position of power, then I could convince everybody to do things the right way, my way. You know, it's because I don't have that title or that status in the group that they don't listen to me okay so we think oh of the leader yeah they have all the power they can pull everything off do you think it's fun for a leader to dominate other people to be aggressive for some leaders you can see it is oh they love it to bits you know i get to trash somebody and humiliate them and make them feel awful so therefore i must be good and powerful so there are those people now yeah. but do you think everybody who's in a position of of authority feels good about having to you know enter into in many different situations and correct people yeah you know initially it seems like fun yeah, I could go in any situation, tell people, don't do it that way, do it this way. And because I'm in the position of authority, they're just gonna have to listen. Yeah. But try the thinking about that. If you, you know, that's what you have to do a lot, is do you know, interact with people with that kind of mindset. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. Uh, maybe. Yeah, hmm. I sometimes think about you know the people who are very hostile towards uh, you know different people in the government, and just saying, okay, you know, you'd be president for a day, and you try and handle all the different things on your plate. Yeah, see, see what that's like. Oh my goodness! Do you want that responsibility? Okay, one sixty-eight. However, mind, although you have been advised, if you do not act in a like manner, then since all misfortune will intru- misfortunes will entrust themselves to you, you will only be destined to destruction. Yeah, so. The more self-centered we are, the more, you know, we find ourselves in bad straits. We don't help other people, so they don't want to help us. Yeah, we take their stuff, so they take ours. We don't respect them, so they don't respect us. So, Deva is giving us a, a warning. And, um, you know, and if we find ourselves being treated in ways we don't like, then we should look at our own behavior because sometimes just even in this lifetime our behavior is eliciting that kind of response and sometimes it's due to past karma like in the wheel of sharp weapons you know that be how we acted in the past now is ripening upon us so it could happen either way but Shantideva's advice about uh, although you have been advised, if you do not act in like manner, then since all misfortunes will entrust themselves to you, you will only be destined to destruction. That still holds true, whether it's something we did this life or previous lives. So, purification is quite important. You know, when you get stuck in your practice, when you're studying and nothing seems to go in or when your mind is really distracted or when you're just in a chronic bad mood, uh, do purification practice, very strong purification. It's extremely helpful. Yeah. So don't just sit there, oh, my practice isn't going well, what should I do? Um, you know, d- do the purification do the accumulation of merit, those practices. And uh, they are very good for changing our mood and our approach. 169, okay, now we're really talking to the self-centered thought. That previous time when you could overcome me is now past. Okay, self-centered thought, you know. You used to win, but not anymore. I see your nature and your faults and wherever you go, I shall destroy your arrogance. Yeah. So to, to have that in mind when we find ourselves being domineering and aggressive and, you know, making big things out of, of out of nothing. Of course, We don't see the big (laughs) the nothings that we're making into big things as nothings. We see them as really big things. But again, it's very helpful to um to look at the situation from a a different perspective. Yeah. When uh you know, sometimes maybe I look at, at uh you know different parts of the forest, and it's like Oh my Goodness, we haven't done anything with this part of the forest. It's still a fire danger, you know. And it's like, what's? Why aren't we doing something? Why didn't the previous owner doing some do something? Na 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 na. Nah. And then I remember, twenty five years ago, I didn't even think about this piece of property. I didn't even know it existed. How the forest was then, I didn't care. Yeah, it's only because of the change in circumstances that now this bothers me. You know, if those guys were at a different construction site, I don't care where they park. It's okay, you know, you can park in the kitchen if if that makes you happy. But when you're here and I see you, then what you're doing is very important. You know, and I have the right to tell you where you should park your oversized vehicle that you don't need and that's wasting gas that you could very easily do, uh, you know, ride sharing with. But you know, if they're at another—I mean, I don't care where they park when they're at their other jobs. I don't even think about it. Yeah. So it's it's quite interesting. Yeah. So if we don't do something with this self-centeredness, then uh, wherever we go, we're gonna have problems. When I was in the monastery in, in Thailand, when I was uh, doing research for for the Library of, of Wisdom and Compassion, um, I, I spent some time in a Thai monastery, and the building I was in, uh, the back of the building, you know, there was plants and stuff like that, and you know, people did what what people do is they throw their garbage in back of a building. Uh, where there's plans. And I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, I'm so glad I'm not the abbot here. <laughs> because if I were the abbot, that would drive me crazy and I would have to say something. But I'm just a guest here for a short period of time. It's not my business to comment on it. I just will not look at it, you know? And yet, all you do is change the, the designation from visitor to abbess, and then this becomes a big deal. Yeah. The, the garbage didn't change at all. It's still the same, and the plants didn't change. You know, whether it's a big deal or not pertains to this mind. Yeah. Okay, 170. I should immediately cast aside all thoughts of working for my own sake. By having sold you, self-centeredness, to others, I shall not become discouraged, but shall offer up all your strength to others. So this is really exchange, exchanging self with others. Okay? Okay. So this mind that that is so uh, involved with me, I, my, my, my happiness, my ideas, my feelings, my pain, my pleasure, my body, my wants, my desires, my needs, my, 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 okay? Um, that mind I've sold to others. Actually, I just gave it away. I'm not even charging for it. You know? Bodhisattvas just give away, you know, that mind that thinks what is most more important instead of keeping it here. They put it over there. Yeah? So by having sold you to others, by having given you that mind that says, take care of me first, yeah? Yeah? I shall not become discouraged at what I've done because I know what I've done is something good that's going to help me. But all your strength, the strength of that mind—you know, when we really want something or when we don't want something, we dig in. Yeah, we're not—we're not, uh, not timid, shy, and bashful then. <laughs> okay. I want something. I don't want this. Okay. So you give that strength to others so that then you really think others are more important than me. Yeah. And, uh, and they come first. And we get over this thing of, you know, I have to be first, I have to be noticed, I have to be appreciated, I have to be loved, I have to be understood, I, 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 I. Yeah? You know, when we study NVC, Marshall is asking us to get in touch with our needs. Yeah? Our needs and our our wishes and discriminate wants and needs, you know. And he says there's many common needs that are very human that we all need. You know, we all need social contact, we need appreciation, we need love, we need recognition, we need understanding. He puts, you know, we need sleep, we need food, yeah. So he puts all of these things in the category of needs, yeah, and But then, when you look at it from a Buddhist viewpoint, yeah, okay, some of those things, uh, like eating, sleeping, so on, you know, uh, as physical creatures, we need those. The problem comes in when we are attached to them. Okay, so our body may need, you know, we need to eat and drink to stay alive, but when it's, you know i want a certain number kind of uh, amount of food and i want a certain kind of food and i want it at this time and i don't want it with you know lemon and vinegar and an orange all mixed up together uh you know then oh, okay so the, the difference between you know a physical need and and an, an attachment but also to think, you know, when you get to very high levels of um, of the bodhisattva path, then actually your body doesn't even need those things, let alone, you know, appreciation, love, recognition, understanding. You know, those things are, are uh, you know, in one way, Marshall's right. They're human, basic human needs. Everybody wants them. In another way... They're all based on, on self centeredness, aren't they? And when and they are so deeply rooted that when we you know we do everything we can to possibly get them, and we get upset when we don't. Yeah. When I do something and nobody says thank you. Yeah. Oh, nobody notices me. Nobody appreciates me. You know, I'm just a peg, you know, in a wheel, and you know, oh, uh, this is, you know, it's unfair. This is wrong. Yeah. So, you know, some of these human needs, we we put an extra dose of me, I, my, and mine in. Yeah. And so, part of uh, what we're trying to do. Uh, on the Buddhist path, remember, is we are uh, swimming upstream. So a lot of these things that, from a worldly perspective, seem, uh, need, you know, we need and seem reasonable from a Buddhist perspective, we want to slowly, um, reduce so that we aren't so bound by those things. Yeah, Do you think his holiness, you know, is sitting on the throne saying, uh, you know, the last two days, how the the children, you know, applaud for his holiness after he would answered a question. You know, I was cringing going, you don't applaud for his holiness. Yeah. But for them, you know, they're applauding. Do you think his holiness cares if they applaud or not? Yeah, I don't think he cares beans. Yeah, he doesn't care. And he, he isn't kind of looking around, you know, how, which, which of the, the people out there are just looking at me with, you know, like they adore me and you know, he doesn't care. He's just, he's just teaching the Dharma, offering it, and it's sentient beings' choice what they do. He's not, you know, concerned with getting the top rating among teachers. (laughs) He's not concerned with lots of thumbs up on his uh, Facebook page. Can you just imagine that in the evening, his holiness before he goes to bed, you know? Looking at his Facebook page, did I get any more thumbs up? Oh, no, I didn't. Gee, baby, I better do something tomorrow, you know. Nobody's praising me. I better, what do I got to (laughs) do? Okay. So, wherever you go, I shall destroy your arrogance. Arrogance. Yeah, look at the self centered thought like that. Okay, 171. If having become unconscientious, I do not give you to all living beings, it is certain that you will deliver me to the guardians of the hells. Uh oh. This self centered thought is not just a pain in the neck. It's outright dangerous. Yeah, it's outright dangerous. It will pick me up and kerplunk me in the hell realm if it controls me. So if having become unconscientious, conscientiousness is one of the uh, virtuous mental factors, and it is a mental factor that respects ethical conduct, yeah. That respects um, proper, suitable action, and uh, cares about that. Okay. So, if becoming unconscientious—in other words, we don't care about our behavior, we just do what, whatever we want, whatever feels good—yeah. Then the self, uh, you know having become unconscientious if I do not give you to all living beings. Okay, so if I don't remedy my own state of unconscientiousness and recklessness in not keeping good ethical concern and not caring, you know, the effects of my actions on others. Okay, so if I don't uh, give my self-centered thought to all living beings and... That mind that says me, I, my, and mine, and put it on all sentient beings instead of putting it on this one. If I don't do that, that self-centered mind is going to kerplunk me in the hell realms because it'll it just feeds my lack of conscientiousness. Yeah, and the more un- the more I lack uh, respect for ethical conduct and for good behavior you know, then what's the karma result of that going to be? I'm going to become more and more obnoxious and create more and more negative karma. Okay, are these verses making sense to you? Okay. 172, For ages have you dealt with me like this. So self-centered thought, you have just, you know, put a ring through my nose and dragged me here and dragged me there and pretended to be my friend and you're not. And, you know, so for ages you've dealt with me like this and I have suffered long. Because for ages I followed my self-centered thought. Yeah? Self-centered thought says... You have the opportunity to get more broccoli? Take it. <laughs> you know, that seems like something stupid, but I think substitute $5,000 for broccoli. It's the same mind. I have, you know, the opportunity to to get this $5,000 by cooking the books. Well, you know, what's wrong with me that I don't take it? I have this opportunity to blame my own failure on somebody else to put the responsibility to them. Why don't I do that? I don't want to look bad. Okay, so I've suffered long because of bowing down to the self-centered thought. But now recalling all my grudges. In other words, I'm not forgetting about how much the self-centered thought has deceived me and made it, made me miserable. And I have a grudge against the self-centered thought. So instead of holding grudges against human beings, sentient beings who are kind hold the grudge against the, our own self-centered, centeredness. So recalling all my grudges, everything you've done that I can't stand, that I want to obliterate you for, I shall overcome your selfish thoughts. Okay, so I'm going to overcome you. It's interesting because if you think of somebody you don't like, you can say this exact same thing to them. Yeah? Somebody I don't like. For ages you have dealt with me like this and I have suffered long. You've mistreated me, you've ignored me, you haven't appreciated me. But now recalling all my grudges, I shall overcome your selfish thoughts because you are very selfish, you've never cared about me. That's how we think about somebody we don't like. And here we're flipping the situation and saying that about our self-centered thought okay so this is an interesting thing you know when you when you notice your own mind is starting to uh, to ruminate going through that list of everything you don't like about somebody or everything they've done to you that was unfair when you start reviewing that then instead of focusing on the other person flip it and focus on your own self centered thought and say the same thing yeah are you getting what i what i'm saying that would be quite interesting wouldn't it yeah one thing that that happened to me uh, many years ago that just oh my goodness it was very painful it made me so angry um so I was uh, uh, in, a, in a group of people, and I was delegated to write the book that was the outcome of a conference that, that we had all been participated in. And I wrote the book. Okay, I gave it to the publisher. Yeah, so far so good. I signed the contract with the publisher. Then the other people in the conference, they, behind my back, asked the publisher to look at the manuscript and because i had i had um made they had done presentations um i had abbreviated their presentations because i felt that the response of the experts uh was more important to include in the money manu- in the manuscript not you know people had given like a whole presentation i said made it small and then gave the response yeah well these people were not happy they wanted their their uh presentations in the book the whole presentation not the abbreviation and then the whole then the whole manuscript got politicized you know, and I was there in the middle of it. You should put this in, you know, you did it all wrong, da-da-da-da-da. And then going behind my back and talking to the publisher, wanting me to rewrite this whole thing when I had written it free, freely. They weren't giving me anything to do it. And now they're criticizing me, and I am furious. And they wanted to pull the whole thing from publication. So I sent them the manuscript, and I said, you don't like what I wrote. You take it. You can do what you want. I said it nicely. This is the way I was feeling inside, you know. uh, Okay, you want your presentation? Here, take it. Put, Put it in. You take charge. Take my name off of it. Take everything. I'm not. I am too good to work with you. <laughs> and these were people who were very well-known. Yeah. They weren't just Joe Blow. They were very well-known people. Boy, how could they do that? Oh, I got so wrapped up in the story. I forgot my first I was on. <laughs> But for ages... Yeah, you know, I, I was so bad. And, and, uh, actually some other people in the conference sided with me against these people who wanted their, their things in it. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was just awful. Um, and I suffered more than anybody else, you know, cause why? Because I was ruminating about this all day long. Yeah. In America, I can remember even where I lived, ruminating, getting so angry. Then I went to Asia, you know, at His Holiness's teachings, getting so upset, getting so angry. And then realizing one day when I was walking after the teachings that of there were only seven billion human beings at that time that of all seven billion, I was the only one who was so upset about this. Yeah. But it really was earth shattering. You know, this experience of, of me was more important than the other six billion nine hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine people because it was happening to me. Don't you feel sorry for me? Yeah? Feel so sorry for me. I suffered so much. You know, and I have all sorts of other stories throughout my life of people. You want to hear those too? Of people who didn't appreciate me and ignored me and criticized me. Oh, there's so many of those. Yeah? And the more you can listen to me whine, the more I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that how very often, you know, in Tibet, how you how you make friends in the Tibetan community is you help somebody with, you know, they need help with something, you help. And then that makes you friends. In the West, how do you become friends? You tell each other all your secrets, all your inner pain, all the injustice that has been perpetrated against you. And the more those people nod and say, I understand, really, it's so bad, I'm on your side, then then that's what makes you friends. True or not true? Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. So just listen to me whine and I will love you. (laughs) Why? Because I feel special. Because I'm the one that you trust so much with your whining. Yeah. You can whine all you want. You can criticize others all you want. You can claim injustice all you want. And I love you back because I'm special. Because I, you know, get to hear that. And then, of course, you know, you listen to to mine. I listen to yours. You know? So... Yeah, just interesting in, in different cultures what people use, you know. I think in, in previous periods in this country, it was more the practical thing. You know, when, when the people were, you know, the foreigners were settling this country, they didn't have time to, to, you know, talk, think about their inner child. And I don't know what's the latest thing now. There's always uh, trauma. Oh, that's right. Yes. The kids last year at the youth, uh, week, they, they explained to me that everybody has trauma now. Isn't that amazing? I said, you all have trauma. Yes. That's how we become good friends. We share our trauma with each other. Yeah. I don't know what trauma means anymore. Yeah, it seems to mean I don't get what I want. (laughs) I'm not sure, but, I mean, to me, the way I grew up, trauma was really trauma, was really, I mean, severe stuff. But now, I don't know, everybody, everybody here have trauma? Yeah, you have trauma? You what? Huh? I've, I've heard the modern psychological usage of trauma explained as something that has changed your view of yourself or of the world. Oh, so, so then Buddhism is trauma. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's changing your view of yourself and the world. Tideva is is very traumatic. Yeah. Oh, he's dramatic, not traumatic. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Isn't it? That changes your view of yourself. Even it changes for the better, you know, that's trauma, huh? Okay. Let's all pray to have trauma then. Oh, look. Wait a minute. Oh, we're on three pages from the end of this chapter. Then we won't have Shanti Deva telling us how selfish we are every week. Instead, he'll tell us how we don't exist. <laughs> that makes it very easy not to be selfish if you don't exist as you think you exist. Yeah. Okay, 173. Likewise, if I wish to be happy, I should not be happy with myself, meaning my self-centeredness. And similarly, if I want to be protected, I should constantly protect all others. Yeah, that's beautiful, you know, because people want to be protected. We're so concerned with being vulnerable ourselves and wanting protection but wouldn't it be nice if we could protect others yeah and the first thing we need to protect them from is our self-centered thought yeah So if I wish to be happy, I should not be happy with myself. So this is not saying we should hate ourselves, that we should be miserable in our life. It's not saying that. It's saying I shouldn't be happy with my self-centeredness. Yeah. When I was sitting there, you know, going round and around and around about what those people did to me with the manuscript, (laughs) you know, I wish to be happy. Yeah. What was making me not happy? I thought it was these people's action. Yeah. But they could have still done that and I could have done, dealt with the situation differently without my self-centered thought making me so unhappy. Okay. So in many cases, The The solution to the problem, in some cases, the solution to the problem is don't do the action. In some cases, the solution is do the action, but change your motivation. Yeah, change it from a selfish motivation to wanting to benefit others. You know, or, yeah, or in my case, I wasn't really at the point of, I wanted to benefit all the the people who were going to read the book. Okay, but I didn't want to bend these benefit these other people who wanted their presentations in because they were more famous than I was. I wasn't very famous at all. They were. And they're bossing me around. How dare they? I should tell you their names and ruin their reputation forever and ever. Then I will feel vindicated. I triumph. Yeah. So the book never got published. <laughs> never got published, but the things that, uh, I had written in it from the expert got put in another book. So I showed them. No, it was, you know, yeah. Yeah, and was actually looking at it now, it was better suited for that other book. Yeah, so good. But why did I have to get so bent out of shape? Yeah, of course, if there's a book, everybody's going to have a different opinion of how it should be written, especially if it concerns them. What was I expecting? I was expecting they should all say, oh, you did a marvelous job doing this. Thank you so much for abbreviating my presentation that I worked on so long, you know. But th- they didn't say that. So I have trauma. Did it change my view of myself?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, at the end of, the, well, not at the end of the story, in the middle of the story, uh, I talked to somebody, one of the experts, who, who commented, this whole thing, the, this whole thing got politicized, didn't it?
1: Yes, it did. Oh, I was vindicated. Goodness.
0: You know? You look back at all your own trauma, people, what they do to you. Yeah, when I was writing um, uh, one of the volumes of uh, Library of Wisdom and Compassion, some of you were here at that time. There was one geshi who was helping me write it. Not, Not this geshi. This geshi's great. That geshi. <laughs> that guessy, you know, would tear me to part, tear, tear me to shreds. Sometimes going going through the manuscript. So, and so I was getting angry because I thought what he was saying was false. Yeah, and one day I said, you know, I should actually listen to what he's saying, and maybe he's right. So I listened. And then I lost all my confidence in writing the book. As he was saying, you don't know anything. You're not qualified, but you know, I said, Oh, yeah, yeah, he's true. I mean, who am I to do this? I don't know anything. Yeah. So then I, I went to, uh, the incarnation of one of my teachers, you know, with my sob story and said, you know, what do you think? Should I, should I just resign and, and, you know, let him or let somebody else do it because I'm, I, he's right. I'm not qualified. Yeah. And, you know, and then of course he gave me a pep talk. And then after that, I felt so bad. Like, why did I go? And whine, you know. Why did I go and to somebody who I really respect and whine, so that he had to give me a pep talk? You know, that's not the way I want to be. Now, a very interesting the situation, you know. So it uh, made me look at my whining. So now I whine to all of you. (laughs) Because this happened many years ago. So you know how, you know, your money collects interest. Well, everything you whine, you whine about collects, you know, interest too. And so you have more people to whine to than, than just your teacher. (laughs) Stupid. Okay, so likewise, if I wish to be happy, I should not be happy with myself. And similarly, if I wish to be protected, I should constantly protect all others. Yeah? So this is, you know, Mother Teresa's way, you know, if I'm lonely, give me somebody to love instead of give somebody to love me. If I feel unappreciated, give me somebody to appreciate instead of wanting the universe to appreciate me. Yeah. And we have to be careful here. It's not because we're not worthy of appreciation. It's because that attachment to being appreciated just makes us miserable when we really look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Because then every situation we're in, what our mind is focused on is are the people noticing me? Are they appreciating me? And we see every situation through that and we miss everything else that's going on with the other people. Yeah. Yeah. We totally, we're we're not thinking about how, how, Other people are taking it in, what's going on with them, what's happening in their life. We're just looking at every situation with the eyes of, are they sufficiently appreciating me? That's kind of sad, isn't it? That's kind of sad when we go through our whole life like that. Okay. So we'll pause here, because next verse, he's going to go more into the body.
1: Um, questions, comments? I think the one thing that's still I'm working on and I still horrifies me is that the self-centered thought is so sneaky that any time that I'm looking at somebody, I'm saying, there's a fault, there's a fault, there's a fault. I don't like that behavior Is that the self-centered thought has totally turned my own bad behavior. 99% of the time, the things I kvetch about other people's faults are exactly the ones I have. Exactly. It's like a mirror, but it does, it doesn't want to own it. So it throws it out there to somebody else. And then I'm just riled up and I go, why does this feel familiar? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm becoming much more cognizant of that habit. Yeah. And why do we find those
0: actions so objectionable in other people? You know, how come we notice those? Because we're so familiar with them, you know, and we know, oh, that's what arrogance looks like. How do I know what arrogance looks like? Because that's how I behave. Yeah, But I can't stand when I see it in other people. So speaking of arrogance, back to that very first verse
1: where... um that we did today, I should not be dominating and aggressive and so forth. Instead, like a newly married bride, bashful, timid, and restrained. So if we reject bashful, timid, and restrained, we reject that analogy. Could you talk a little bit about what what is an analogy or what way we could hold it? Because definitely it's a problem. But bashful, timid, and restrained, like a new bride, is probably not going to work for me
0: very well. Yeah, this is happening. It, It came up the the other day. Was it with you or somebody where... I, I, said, I was saying that it was with somebody. I can't even remember. Um, okay. When you, when he's recommending being bashful, timid and restrained, and we say that's not the way to deal with it, then people think, okay, let's behave the opposite. So I will be dominating and aggressive. So we always think if we negate, bashful, timid and restrained, then we have to do the opposite. There's in terms of bashful, timid and restrained, the lack of those doesn't mean being aggressive and and overbearing on other people. Okay? So we have to realize that because we tend to think if it's not black, it's white. You know, and if it's not white, it's black. But what about pink and purple and chartreuse and and polka dots? And there's lots of other options, okay? But we tend to put things in in just either I do this or that, either the person's this or they're that. But there's like all sorts of other things, okay? So you don't want to you don't want to be bashful, timid, and restrained, but you but you don't want to be dominant and, and aggressive either. So what do you do? You go to the other person and say, please tell me, uh, you know, how you're seeing this situation. And, uh, you know, if they have a plan and they're enacting it, you know, please tell me about it, why you think this is going to work well, because uh, I want to understand why you're doing what you're, you know, why you're doing this, and then you listen and think about it, and it, it could be that you know what they're choosing to do is good. It could be that they're losing that they've missed a few details. You know, it doesn't mean the whole project's bad, but maybe they're missing a few things. And then you can say, you know, oh, do, do you want some some uh, feedback? Do you want some comments? Or you know, I was once. Uh, doing a project like this and, and, you know, if you're interested, I can give you some tips. Yeah. So you just, uh, if, if you approach it like this is a problem and I've got to win the argument, um, then that's what it becomes. If, if you approach it as, uh, let's see, you know, what the other person is thinking. Yeah, then, you know, there's a chance maybe to have some discussion. And then if you think the person's reason isn't good, then you say, well, how about this factor? And did you, you know, was this put in the mix?
2: Years ago, I think I might have just met the Dharma, maybe, and I was at at work, and I, you know, had a really self-centered you know and didn't didn't really know it at the time and got just really angry about not being appreciated at work and this uh manager that i had uh conflict with because you know kind of you know passive aggressive stuff and you know just overseeing and you know like this and um it got to the point where I got really angry and I, you know, kind of forced a confrontation and then I got fired. And then, you know, I held a grudge and just, just hated this person. I think after about a year, year and a half, I, I just finally just kind of, I don't know, forgave them or, or just maybe took ownership of it, you know? And I felt so relieved, you know, when I let go of all that, crap you know
0: yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah Yeah. you do feel very relieved being angry and holding a grudge is is quite uh, uh, unhappy making yeah we had somebody come here one young person who uh i guess when they were young they were acting out a lot and they they told us that after they came here um They went back and they apologized to some of their middle school and high school teachers. Yeah? I thought that was so incredible. I mean, those of you who are teachers, can you imagine a a student coming and apologizing to you? Wow. You know? But that's what he did. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, great courageous one.
1: Yeah. If you address the self-centered thought, who is it that's doing the addressing? And do you have a term for it? If I'm going to address it. If you're, if you address the self-centered thought, who is it that's doing the addressing? The conventional I, the wisdom or the wisdom I. This isn't a question. It's a information. Um, the SAMHSA definition of trauma is individual trauma results from an event series of events or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening, and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, and emotional or spiritual well-being. Yeah, that's how I think of trauma,
0: yeah? But that seems to be the old-fashioned definition, yeah?
1: Yeah. Uh, they say the teachings and practices are wonderful therapy for trauma. Trauma.
0: Mm. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, they are. They are, you know. Otherwise, if you have trauma and you think this, you know, just the thought, this has wounded me forever. If you think this has wounded me forever, it has wounded you forever. If you think... You know, this was a horrible event. It is not happening now. I can remember it and, uh, you know, learn from it and make some resolutions about, you know, how I'm going to act towards other people. Uh, Then it ceases to be traumatic. Yeah, but as soon as you tell yourself, I'm never going to recover, you won't recover. It was like little Tyrone in third grade who told himself he can't read. Somebody must have told him that in first grade, and he, he couldn't read very well. You know, the first thing he had to do was convince him he could read. Yeah? Remove that that block that says, I can't do it. mm mm-hmm it's forever and ever yeah and if you think from a buddhist of buddhist viewpoint if you say you know that has uh, traumatized me forever are you thinking future lives you're going to be traumatized are you thinking that you'll never become a buddha because of this incident is one incident going to completely overpower everything else in your whole series of lifetimes? Some people might think I'm too cavalier about trauma and don't take people's trauma seriously enough. You know, maybe. But I also know from my own experience what happens when you ruminate and tell yourself something again and again and again. I, I know very well how that, uh, yeah, that just stops you from growing. So, um, I guess, uh, and I told Venable Say about this. I was thinking about her, her BBC yesterday and she was talking about, uh, you know, there could be instances in which having an expectation of somebody uh, is appropriate because you have certain qualities or you're in a certain position or what like that. So that is an appropriate expectation. And, and I went and, and I said, you know, cause I've looked at, at my life and I decided, no, that isn't a, a, uh, an appropriate expectation. Cause as soon as I expect somebody to treat me in the same, to to notice my good qualities and treat me in the same way, or to notice what position I have and treat me according to how you should treat people in that position, that whenever I do that, I'm setting myself up for not getting along with people, you know, because I'm expecting them to do things that many people just don't think about doing or don't do or whatever. And, yeah... So, but I think that, that thought of, you know, well, I am in a certain position. Or I have certain qualities. Therefore, people should treat me like X, Y, and Z. And where does that come from? Yeah, it doesn't come from cherishing others. It comes from this one. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine His Holiness after giving the teachings? strutting through the crowd. I am the Dalai Lama. I'm so glad you have your katas out there. I'll pick who of you is worthy of me taking your kata. You know, I mean, that's not how His Holiness walks through the crowd, is it? Yeah. So... Yeah. He could claim, well, I'm the Dalai Lama. You should treat me in a certain way. He could claim that, you know, and then we would all say, you know, what an arrogant Dalai Lama that is. (laughs) Yeah. But it's interesting because he's so humble. That's one of the reasons why we praise him because he's sincerely humble. He's not putting on an act. Yeah. So. Okay, let's dedicate...